Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 66, Toddlers and Teenagers. My name is Jessie Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. We're going to start out today's episode with a battle buddy moment, which is a Facebook review from Melissa. And she says, great evening with Jesse at Simply Resilient Life Coaching. I was hesitant to share, but she made me feel comfortable. It was like a conversation and she'd interject ideas and comments that helped me see things differently. What a great, insightful evening. P.S. The lemon dessert was amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for that review, Melissa. Again, Like I mentioned in a previous episode, most of my Facebook reviews come from the people who have attended my life coaching dinner parties, which are so fun and I love doing. And what a better way to get exposed to this world of life coaching than with delicious food and fun friends and then a group coaching session. It was a lot of fun and and I really enjoy doing those and may bring them back at some point. I want to also remind you guys, if you haven't had a chance to go check out Milligram, I talked about it two episodes ago. It is a company that is doing something very cool I'm really excited about. They set you up with a subscription service that's really affordable. You get a unique phone number that you're able to text photographs to from your phone. And then they, either every two weeks or once a month, depending on the frequency you pick, they will print the pictures that you have texted in and mail them to your soldier who is deployed. And it's such a fun an easy to use service. And I just love the idea of knowing that they're receiving mail frequently from me, especially photographs, which is always my husband's favorite thing to get in the care packages that I make for him. And I think you guys will still, even if you use this service, you'll still get those care packages going. But those, t- you know, take a lot of work and time and money and we're getting them out maybe once a month. But I would love to know that my husband was getting pictures regularly in the mail. And what a comfort I know that is for him and and how much it makes him feel like he's got home right there with him. So go check them out, milligram.co, M-I-L-I-G-R-A-M dot C-O, and see if signing up for that service would be a great fit for you, whether you're in a deployment right now or you've got one coming up, go check it out. Okay, so today we're talking about toddlers and teenagers. And you guys, I have both, which is a really good time. So I wanted to tell you something fun we have going on right now with my kids' ages. So from September to December every year, it's very apparent that we paired our kids up based on their ages. So right now we're in that window and my kids' ages are, they're three and four, nine and 10, and 13 and 14. So you can see those big breaks in there. And you can see how they're quite close together just with their little partner. And I did all that on purpose. I paired my kids together so they would always have a buddy. We call it the buddy system. The last cool thing about their ages that I want to mention is that my toddlers and my teenagers are 10 years apart. So what I mean by that is my teenagers were born in 2006 and 2007. And my toddlers, my current toddlers, were born in 2016 and 2017. So my number one and number five are 10 years apart. And number two and number six are 10 years apart part. Anyway, okay, so let's get into it. So what I want to talk about today and the reason why I titled this episode Toddlers and Teenagers is because toddlers are the real deal 
and teenagers are the real deal. Meaning this is, this is when you're at like the height of your parenting, you know, being pregnant and babies, that's its own thing. And the kids in between the toddlers and teenagers, that doesn't mean you're not parenting there, but I feel like we get the most challenged by parenting our toddlers and then by parenting our teenagers. I also know that I have lots in store for me as a parent, even of grown children. I, I'm, there's, there's something at every stage, but there's just something very unique about the, these two stages. And it's also quite interesting how similar they are. So a few of the similarities that I identified between toddlers and teenagers is that they both have high emotion. They both are going through dramatic changes. I mean, if you look at a two-year-old versus a five-year-old, just dramatically different. And then also, you know, like a 12-year-old versus a 15-year-old, they just go, they're in a huge transition going through a lot of changes. Um, Another important thing to know, and I'm going to give my son Bruce credit for this one. I was talking to my husband about how I was planning this episode, and this was a few weeks ago. And my son was just listening to our conversation and I was talking to him about, you know, how I've been thinking about toddlers and teenagers and how they're similar and how they're different and what's challenging about it and why, why we have a name for this age. Like we don't have, you know, I know people will call, you know, like 10 and 11 year olds, like tweens or whatever, but it's not as notable. We have a name for this, for toddler phase and teenager phase, because that's, that's how challenging it can be is that it it needed a name anyway. And my son said, you know what, mom, I think I know why it's hard to be a toddler and hard to be a teenager. And that right there was already the first part of why this was interesting is that I am looking at why it's hard to parent toddlers and teenagers. And he was observing why it's hard to be a toddler or a teenager. And that just shows the different you know, perspectives that we have. And I thought that was the first interesting part. And then he went on to say, it's really hard to be a toddler because you're in that in-between place. You're not a baby anymore, but you're not a kid yet. And it's really hard to be a teenager because you're in that in-between place again. You're not a kid anymore, but you're not an adult yet. And so they're both in this pretty rough transition phase that I think it's just important to get that look at it, get that perspective of it, get a better understanding of why they feel and do what they do, right? And the way their brains are working and what we as parents are experiencing and to just get a better understanding of it all and have more compassion for everyone involved. And all of that can really aid in this phase of our lives where we're parenting these toddlers or we're parenting these teenagers. Okay, another similarity is that toddlers and teenagers often have unrealistic expectations placed upon them, whether by their selves or by other people. So you might see this more in teenagers, but that is a common complaint that I hear from you know, teenagers, my teenagers and other teenagers that people are already expecting them to be more grown up than they are. And I think that toddlers, this happens to them too. They might not verbalize it or even notice it, but it's happening. And I'll notice myself doing it as a parent that I'll just catch myself thinking, or even sometimes saying out loud, like, why can't you just stop doing this? Why can't you just basically what I'm saying is be more grown up than you are. Why can't we be past this phase, right? My three-year-old right now is really struggling with some potty training issues. She's, she does really well in some areas and struggling in others. And I catch myself thinking so much like why can't you just get this figured out like why aren't we past this yet you know and that's me just putting that unrealistic expectation on her because even if you know another kid had this figured out by her age she doesn't and that's where she's at and I need I need to parent her where she's at and then you'll see this like I said in teenagers people expecting them to be adults and I think this is where you see it a little bit more they put that unrealistic expectation on themselves even sometimes they have too grand of expectations about where they should be performing or what they should be doing not all teenagers experience that but a lot of them do they're often their harshest critic, just like we all are as basically human beings. Another similarity, this one I loved identifying, is that toddlers and teenagers want limits and want to know where they are 
but the way that they find those limits is by pushing to them and past them. So that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, you think about a toddler pushing your buttons, throwing fits, you know, they find the limit of where the punishment will come in or the consequence or mom losing her mind. They find that limit by blowing past it. And as parents, we often think that they're just wanting to aggravate us or make our lives hard. But really, truly what they're doing is learning the limit. They want that limit. It serves them. It makes them feel more safe and secure to know that there are limits. And sometimes it feels like they don't want limits because of how much they're pushing against it, but they're pushing against it to just be continually testing that limit to make sure it's still there. They want the limit. And then teenagers do this too. Teenagers, you know, theirs looks a little bit more like rebellion rather than, you know, throwing a tantrum. But even sometimes teenagers, I think, do throw tantrums. (laughs) But they resist and rebel against, you know, a curfew or having to get their homework done before they can be on their phone or whatever the limitation is. But even subconsciously, even if they don't know they want it, they do want it. Because when teenagers have no limits, that really doesn't serve them and it doesn't help them through this transition. It doesn't help them become an adult. They need to learn to work within these imposed limitations in order to become an adult when they impose the limitations upon themselves. Okay, and then one more reason why, I'm sure there's a lot more, but this is the last reason I have in this list of why toddlers and teenagers are similar is because it is hardly ever in their best interest to give them what they're begging you for or demanding, right? I'm not saying don't don't take their opinion into account. Don't, you know, meet some of their wants and desires. But when they, I feel like we can all tell the difference when they're, you know, demanding something that we know is not good for them and they know is not good for them, but they're still in that kind of demanding place, right? So if you go to a toddler example, it might be like they're so hungry and they just really want a piece of candy, right? Because that's what their brain is screaming for. But you know, oh, we'll be eating dinner in half an hour. Like it's okay that you're hungry. And even though they're begging for it and crying and whatever they're doing, and so it feels like they really want it. And then you might even trick your brain into like, maybe they need it. Not necessarily the candy, but just any example in this area. You need to remind yourself, like, you know what is in their best interest. And they're not old enough to know what's in their best interest. They're only old enough to know what their brain is demanding and then to tell you what their brain is demanding. And then similarly with teenagers, they're, you know, begging to hang out all day with their friends instead of getting any kind of homework or work or any responsibilities done. They're begging you to let them sleep in every day or, you know, whatever. They're begging you to let them stay home from school. They're begging you to, you know, take away their curfew. Basically, they're begging you to take away those limitations, even though they they truly want them and need them and it's in their best interest. And so it's interesting that those two categories of people are begging you to do what's not good for them and that our job as parents is to lovingly maintain the limitations and and continually do what is in their best interest even when they're asking for something that isn't. And all of this comes back to of course life coaching principles, of course, our lower brain, which I lovingly call my toddler brain. I know you guys have heard me call it that before. And so as I talk about toddlers and teenagers today, I want you to just also be throwing in and what our toddler brain is doing. 
because I think that's what's happening in these two phases of parenting is that toddlers are just really heavily in their toddler brain and teenagers are heavily in their toddler brain as well. Maybe we could also call the lower brain a teenager brain. (laughs) Anyway, my dad, when I was young, he would call this the cocoon, that teenagers sink into this cocoon where they start to act in a way that you almost don't recognize and you feel like you almost kind of lose them in the cocoon and then eventually they emerge out of the cocoon as beautiful, well-developed, independent adults, right? So I think that teenagers kind of sink back into that toddler brain for, for quite a bit of those teenage years. One of the similarities between toddlers and teenagers and our toddler brain that I want to talk about today in this episode is the definition of the word fair for these groups of people. So the definition of the word fair for our toddler brain is that everything be the same. And the definition of the word fair when we're in our higher brains is that we understand that things are different. They're different, but somehow equal. And we often don't understand how they're equal, but we know that things are not the same. And when we have, you know, you'll hear a toddler or a teenager say, that is so not fair. You know, you know, for a toddler, it's they got three pieces of candy. Why don't I get three pieces of candy, right? There's such a demand for fairness in that age group. And then similarly with teenagers, that they are suddenly looking at their friends and looking at the way their siblings are being parented. And they're saying, that's not fair. They got to stay up. Why don't I get to stay up? That's not fair. They watched this movie when they were 13. Why don't I get to watch this movie now that I'm 13, right? There's such a demand for fairness, but under that definition of that everything be the same, which as adults and as people in our higher brain, when we're in our higher brain, we logically and rationally understand that fair is not the same. No two families are the same. No two human experiences are the same. We have a lot of similarities and it's helpful to find those and to find our common ground and to find what works across the board. But it doesn't serve us to say, I'll only be satisfied with this life and it will only feel fair if it's the same as what's going on for somebody else. So it's very normal for our toddler brain to demand that things be quote unquote fair, meaning same. But it doesn't serve us to act from those thoughts because things are mostly not the same, right? And when when our definition of fair is that everything be the same, then we live our life in comparison mode. And it is very unsatisfying to live our lives that way. And I think that this is, brings us back to the toddlers and teenagers, that when they're demanding that fair be same, they're in that comparison mode. I see this, I would say, mostly with teenagers, even though toddlers do this as well, where teenagers get caught in this cocoon right and then all they can see is how this you know this friend gets a later curfew or this friend got more Christmas presents I really remember making that transition as a kid I loved what I got for Christmas until one year and I think I was about 12 I went over to my friend's house on Christmas day and saw what she got for Christmas and I I remember thinking whoa that is not fair she got skis she got you know all these things I thought oh man I got I got a CD player you know something that in the moment I thought was amazing until I went to my friend's house and I'm in that comparison mode and suddenly things aren't fair. And when our definition of fair is different, knowing that things should be different, they are different and they should be, then we don't expect ourselves or our lives to look like someone else's lives. Okay, I want to share an in the trenches moment with you guys. And this is when I talk about how I apply coaching in my own life when I'm the client instead of the coach. And I either do this through self-coaching or through getting coached, right? So I like to share these experiences with you. And I, I had an amazing experience. This was a few months ago. And I was noticing my brain thinking that nothing was fair. 
a lot. <laughs> and the way the way I say it as a grown up is I am seeing like a double standard everywhere. Those the, those are words that I think and that shows me that my lower brain is is on the lookout for what's not fair is I think, oh, that's such a double standard. Because double standard really means that what worked for this person over here isn't working for me or what was okay for him isn't okay for me. Now, I do believe that in the world there are double standards and that we should be aware of those and fix them when necessary because we should have, you know, relatively equal expectations, you know, in the workforce or something. But I'm talking about just in my personal life. I'm noticing double standards and what that looked like to me in that moment was I'm the one that watches the kids when my husband works, but he's not the one that watches the kids when I work. Like that's so unfair. That's such a double standard. Okay. So, and and let me, let me say this all the way through because some of you are going to be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, right? You watch the kids and he should watch the kids. It should balance out that way. But I want to, I'm going to take you all the way through this journey I went on. Okay. So I was noticing a real double standard and what it was looking like for me was, you know, this isn't fair. I work so hard and I help other people. And what I was really noticing is that I'm so good. I'm, I'm like, this is one of my superpowers. I'm so good at recognizing needs in other people's lives, helping them get it fulfilled so that they can do all the things they're trying to do. And I'm noticing it in my husband and I'm noticing it in my kids, right? Like I'm helping my husband really fulfill his career and make everything with the military really successful and everything with his civilian job really successful. And I'm making sure that he's, you know, always has great food available to him and that he's, I'm, you know, frequently suggesting, you know, go golfing, go hang out with your friends. And so I'm watching for all those needs in him. And then I'm, I'm the one who facilitates it in that I make the suggestion, then he decides if he wants to make it happen or not. But if he decides he wants to make it happen, I'm the one at home saying, okay, well, I'll drive the kids here because you're golfing, right? Or I'll whatever. Now I do want to say that in this moment, I was definitely in my dramatic brain because those things happen for me too. My husband is so supportive of me getting, you know, away time or girl time, or, you know, I have, I'm in a book club and I'm working on my business a lot. And when he's home, he is so supportive of those things, but he is so often not home. So that's really where the double standard came in, in my brain, is that when he's home, he's doing it, but he's so often not home. And so I don't have, like, I joke with him and I say like, Brad, I need a me. Like you have me and I need someone else. I just need, I need a wife. (laughs) You have a wife. I need a wife. And, um, and it's not about his unwillingness. It's definitely about his unavailability because he's works a lot and he's really busy and he's, he's gone so much. And then I, you know, like I said, I notice it in my kids as well. I make sure that they are healthy and sleeping well and clean and getting to school and having a great environment to get their homework done. And, you know, I'm driving them to their extracurricular activities and I'm listening to their needs and their wants and trying to fulfill, you know, the ones that are important and the ones that are in their best interest and all those things. So I'm watching myself really support these other people in their lives and facilitate what they're trying to create in their lives. And then I'm looking behind me and saying like, wait, but who's doing this for me? And that's where I was really seeing that double standard. And I was in my lower brain because I was thinking this should be fair, right? I should do these things for other people. And then somebody else should be doing these things for me. Now, when I say that, I don't have anyone specific in mind. Like, of course, it's nice when it's my husband, right? When he's home. And of course, I really enjoy when my kids will do little things to serve me. But I'm not over here thinking like, I don't actually have a solution when I think somebody else should be doing this for me. I don't think 
think like, oh, my daughter Jane should like quit school and, and just start taking care of the house and the kids so that I can work full time. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. But my lower brain is just offering me this dramatic story, right? Of there's a double standard here. You're helping other people. Nobody's helping you. That's, that's the essence of that story. So it was bothering me a lot and I had done a little self-coaching on it, but was having a hard time making headway. And I knew I didn't want to be telling this story anymore, but I couldn't find a different story. (laughs) So what do you do when you get in that moment? You go to your life coach and you say, this is taking up too much space in my brain. This is affecting the way that I'm living my life. It's affecting the way that I'm interacting with my family. And it's not making me feel any better or help me get more towards my goals or the life I want to be living. And I can't figure out how to tweak it and and wiggle it and adjust it and flip it on its head and, and tell a different story. And so I... I went to my coach and I got coached and she was able to do some really awesome stuff with me just by being an unbiased sounding board and helping me really identify which parts were fact and which parts were just my story about it. And then she helped me flip the whole thing on its head and look at it in a completely new way without changing any of my circumstances. My circumstances stay exactly the same. That is the beautiful thing about coaching. I mean, sometimes circumstances change, but in this moment, they stay the same. So after explaining, you know, everything to her and she helped me get clear on some of the things that were hazy, I basically realized that one of my main thoughts was I make it easy for other people. Why don't they make it easy for me? Like I don't make their lives easy, but I make what they're trying to do easier. I I use that word like facilitate, like I facilitate and support what they're trying to do. Why don't they make it easy for me? Right. And I could see the flaws in that. Like I already said, I'm not planning on my husband quitting his job so he can be home for me to work. And I'm not planning on my kids quitting school so they can, you know, support me while I while I work and do the things I want to do. But I just noticed that that was the essence of my double standard. I do this for them. Why don't they do it for me? And so that was the first piece of realizing truly, truly opening my brain up to the fact that I, I mean, I already believe this. I just had to really show my brain how untrue that sentence was. And what the, and what I really believe is that I don't ever do things so that other people will do them back for me. I do things because it's what I want to do and it's who I want to be. So when I support my family and my friends and whoever in the things that they're trying to do in their lives it's just simply because I want to it's simply because it's it's the wife I want to be and the mother I want to be it's me showing up as my best self it's who I want to be and I want to keep doing it and it is never because then they'll do it back for me so it's such an interesting little story that my lower brain was telling because I don't believe it I don't even believe it but I was really I was caught up in it for a while so that was the first part and then the second part she asked me the most interesting question and I love it and I've been using it on myself and with my clients and the question is why is this good news okay and and wait I got ahead of myself here so what we kind of boiled down that story to to something that could serve me a little bit better was that I am so good at helping other people like make their dreams come true basically is one way to say it like it's one of my superpowers one of my superpowers is supporting other people in their efforts in their dreams and their desires in their wants and their needs I am such a great support to other people. And so she asked me this question of why is that good news? Because currently in that moment, it was feeling just like bad news because then I think, well, what about my dreams, right? If I'm just so good at helping other people, what about my dreams? And her asking me that question just really helped me flip the whole thing on its head. And I realized, oh my goodness, if I'm an expert at helping other people achieve their dreams, I can also be an expert at helping myself achieve my dreams. And that doesn't mean doing it alone. That means harnessing those amazing powers I already have, those strengths that I already have for me as well. 
I was only seeing the way I was doing it for other people and I already was doing it for myself. I just wasn't seeing how I was. And then suddenly I was able to see, oh my goodness, I've created this amazing business by setting aside time to work on it, by hiring childcare to make it happen, by expressing what I need to my husband, the needs that he's able to fulfill within his availability, by spending money on myself, by spending money on coaching, by making myself a priority, by making my dreams a priority. And I wasn't seeing any of that. I wasn't seeing how I was already the one who was supporting me. And again, that doesn't mean just doing it on my own. It means no one is going to maybe step up as organically as I do in my family's lives, but I am the one that is so good at identifying needs, including my own, and fulfilling those needs, whether it be with myself or with other people or with childcare or with, you know, a cleaning service or whatever the needs are. I'm an expert at fulfilling those needs for myself and for others. And so it just became such good news that that is one of my strengths because I do it for me. I do it by lining up up people to fulfill the things that I need from other people, even if they're not just organically, like I said, stepping up and and guessing what I need and then making it happen, which is such a weird thing to be hoping for because that's mostly not how it goes. And then back to that question, because I want you guys to, to ask yourself this sometimes in your life. The why is this good news? I wanted to clarify that that doesn't mean look for the positive amidst a, you know, a challenging time. And it doesn't mean find that silver lining, even though I like both of those things. It's different than that though. It is saying, take this, this problem you're dealing with and ask yourself why it's not even a problem at all, but it's like the best thing that's ever happened to you. This asking yourself questions like this is how we flip problems on their head and look at them from a completely new angle, new perspective with new glasses on, right? And it's a about saying, how can I turn this supposed weakness or supposed challenge into just one of my greatest sources of experience and my greatest strength and to work for my good, which is what all challenges and weaknesses have the potential to become. It's such a powerful question. I was able to ask it to myself recently in another circumstance where I have maintained the same weight for a long time. I'm really working on getting down to this goal weight. I'm not in a hurry, but I just noticed how I've stayed you know, right around 195 for a long time, like a year and a half, you guys, or even longer, maybe. And I'll, I'll get down to like 190 and then I'll kind of come back up to 195. So I'm moving all around, but my averages have stayed right around 195 for a really long time. And one thought that my brain offers me, and it almost sounds like a positive thought, but it actually comes out a little sarcastically in my brain is like, you are so good at weighing 195 pounds. Like apparently that's what your body wants to weigh, right? Like you're just, you're an expert at weighing 195 pounds. And so, So one day I was looking at it as bad news, bad news that I was an expert at weighing 195 pounds because I want to weigh 175 pounds. And I was getting discouraged. I was just having a day where that felt like bad news and I was feeling discouraged and I decided time to flip this problem on its head. So I asked this magic question of why is this good news? Why is it good news? that I am an expert at weighing 195 pounds. And the answer came through just very simple and calm and clear. I didn't even have to think about it very long. And the answer in my brain, the thought that came up for me was just, if you're an expert at weighing 195 pounds, you can be an expert at weighing any weight you decide to be. So it basically shows me that I'm really learning how to maintain a certain weight and that 
it's in my control and my power to, you know, lose a little more weight and then be an expert at weighing 190 pounds and then lose a little more weight and be an expert at weighing 185 and so on and so on until I get to the weight I want to be. And then I can be an expert at weighing that amount too. I can be an expert at weighing 175 pounds. If I can be an expert at weighing 195 pounds, then I can be an expert at weighing any pounds I decide to be, which is such good news. So I was able to take that problem, flip it on his head and turn it into good news. Okay, back to the topic. We're just going to wrap up with talking a little bit more about these amazing toddlers and teenagers that so many of us have the privilege of raising. And I want to talk about why it doesn't always feel like a privilege. (laughs) So understanding all of this our lower brain's definition of fair versus our higher brain's definition of fair and understanding that toddlers and teenagers and our toddler slash teenager brain demanding that things be fair and what that can look like in our life and what we can do about that and then also understanding why that can all feel like a problem in the moment and we can get really focused on the problem of it but that there's so much power in flipping it on his head to make it look like a, a solution really. It really helps us parent these amazing kids and it, again, it can doesn't always feel like a privilege because of how challenging it can be to parent these strong-willed, independent, rebellious children, but reminding ourselves a few really important things. So the first thing I want you to do is ask yourself in those moments when you're super focused on why it's crazy hard and why it all feels like a problem, ask yourself, why is this good news? So one of the biggest ones that comes up for me when I ask myself that question when it comes to toddlers and teenagers is that the fact that they are so fiercely independent, you know, especially toddlers, right? When you're wanting to buckle their car seat, but they are just demanding that they be the ones that do it, but they're having a hard time even getting the two things lined up, right? Or when you're trying to put on their shoe, but they demand that they do it and they can't even get their toes in the right spot, you know, all these things, they're being so independent and it drives you nuts as a parent because you're trying to get out the door or whatever it is. You ask yourself, why is this good news? And logically, you know why it's good news. But in that moment, we want to be able to remember it in that moment, in that moment when we're in our lower brains as well, because we're thinking, just let me put on your shoe, right? Let's get out the door. We need to remember that it's such good news that they are so independent and that they fight us because that is what it takes to make this rough transition from baby to to child. That is what it takes for them to learn how to do it all by themselves. They have to do it slowly and poorly and ineffectively and unsuccessfully for so long and still be willing to try again. Can you imagine if we were as willing to try again as toddlers are when we do something and we can't do it? Like they get frustrated and we get frustrated, but then often we won't go try it again as adults or, you know. So think of that, trying to learn to walk trying to learn how to put on a shoe, trying to learn how to take their shirt off, trying to learn how to feed themselves, right? They're awful at it. And yet every day, every meal, every whatever, they just try again and again. And they have that fight in them to never quit trying till they figure it out and then get good at it. Can you imagine if we all had that ability? And so we as parents have to learn how to not just suffer through it, but see it as good news that they are so independent right? It is what is, if they, if they weren't independent, they wouldn't figure out how to do any of those things. And so we're not going to just endure it and suffer through it. You can, if you want to, that's always available. Of course, I challenge you to see it as good news, 
See it as nothing's gone wrong. You are right on track. This is exactly what it looks like to parent a toddler is them fighting you on everything every day, all day long. Sorry, not everything. That's dramatic. But, you know, fighting to do it themselves, resisting the limits you've set because they're looking for the limits. That's how they look for them is by resisting your limits, right? It's so powerful to remember that nothing has gone wrong in that moment. And there's gonna be moments where you remember and moments where you don't and both are just fine because the reason we do this work to remember that in the moment is just for our own benefit. It's for us to feel better and for us to show up better as the parent we want to be because when we lose our cool at our toddler because they can't get their shoe on, it's not the parent we wanna be. And we understand why we do it. We understand why we lose our cool sometimes. It can be very frustrating and usually we have other stuff going on. When I catch myself losing my cool like that and and later I calm down and I go back and I apologize to my child, I say, I'm so sorry. I was really stressed about this other thing and I just wasn't handling what you were doing very well because I was already, I felt like I was already at the edge and then your thing just pushed me over. Your thing was not that big of a deal. I was already dealing with something else. And it's an understandable reason, but in those moments, it's never how I want to be showing up as a mom. And I give myself grace and compassion and I'm so willing to be wrong in those moments and go back and apologize. And my kids have a 50-50 mom. 50% of the time, I am showing up exactly as who I want to be. I'm nailing it. I'm I'm awesome. And 50% of the time, I'm making mistakes and I'm overreacting and I'm in my lower brain and I'm not showing up as who I want to be. And I accept it all. And I wrap my arms around myself through all of it. And I love showing both sides to my kids because that's just what it means to be human that 50-50. Okay, little tangent there. Anyway, now going to teenagers when they are rebellious and resistant or when they shut down and are just kind of almost unresponsive to you. You get that a lot with teenagers as well. Nothing's gone wrong. That is what it takes for them to make this rough transition from childhood to adulthood. That is what it looks like to parent a teenager. And we can decide the parent we want to be no matter how our teenager is responding to us, right? It's like I've I've shared this before in my protocols episode that when I say I love you to my child, sometimes they say it back and sometimes they don't, particularly my toddlers and teenagers, (laughs) And that's not why I say I love you. I mean, that goes back to that double standard concept I was talking about earlier that I don't say I love you so that I'll hear it back. I say I love you to them because it's the mom I want to be. And so when they're in their cocoon moments and they don't want to say I love you back and they don't think that any of my parenting is good and they question all my decisions and they tell me I'm the worst and even that they hate me and all the things, right? I continue to do what it takes to show up as the mom I want to be. And when I don't show up as the mom I want to be, I forgive myself. I apologize to my children and then I try again and I try again and I try again and I know with my higher brain and I'm not always in my higher brain but I know with my higher brain that when they are doing all the things that are super challenging that nothing has gone wrong that that is just what it looks like to parent a teenager and that we're right on track I want to share a little story that my mom just reminded me of, and this will be our hot mess moment for this episode. When I was just entering this teenager world, entering the cocoon, I was probably 12 or 13 and I had done something. My, my mom doesn't remember, and neither do I, but I had done something for them to say, well, now you can't go to your friend's house. Like I was wanting to go to my friend's house, but then I was either, you know, disrespectful or I, you know, didn't do a chore or something. And then the consequence was, well, now you can't go to your friend's house. And I was so mad that I just walked out the door to go to my friend's house anyway. She was my neighbor. Shout out to Meredith if you're listening. <laughs> anyway, my mom followed me out the door and she said, Jesse, you can't go to your friend's house. And I just kept walking. 
And so then she let me know what the consequence would be. If you keep walking, if you go to your friend's house anyway, you're going to be grounded. And I turned around and I looked at her and I, she could see me and my brain just calculating just a little bit, weighing out those options of I could turn around and stay and not get grounded or I could go to my friend's house and get grounded. And I just said, okay. And I walked away and I went to my friend's house and I came home and I was grounded. I don't remember how long and neither, neither does she. And that part's not the important part, but it's, it's a very simple example of rebellion. And I, I wasn't a super rebellious kid, but I did have some fire in me and I did push those limits you know, in quite a few ways, but it's just that example of this is me learning how to be an adult. This is me pushing limits, seeing what's going to send people over the edge, right? Seeing what consequences look like, what they feel like when people impose them and when they don't, right? All of these things are what I'm experimenting with and testing out as a teenager so that when I'm an adult, I have experience with all those things because then I am imposing the consequences, right? I mean, the world is as well, just natural consequences, but I'm imposing the limitations and I'm imposing, I'm in charge of myself. And when you're 12 and you're 13, you're not ready to be in charge of yourself, but you think you are. (laughs) So we're experimenting with being in charge of ourselves and seeing where it goes well and where it goes super poorly. And so in that moment, I decided, okay, ground me. I'm going to my friend's house, right? And I I was willing to accept the consequences. I made the decision. I took the action and I accepted the consequences. And that was a learning experiment for me. And that's what rebellion is. I mean, that's, again, that's a pretty calm example. I know a lot of you with teenagers are probably experiencing a lot more intense examples of rebellion. And here in our house, you know, we have two teenagers, a 13 and a 14 year old, and so far, I don't have really very many dramatic tales to share, but I'm sure they're coming and I'm ready for it. And I'll know, again, nothing has gone wrong. One more thing I want to tie into that concept of thinking that things should be the same when we logically know they shouldn't comes in the form of parenting. And I've noticed in my own parenting that I often just want to parent all my kids the same, even though I logically know that they have different personalities and that they need, you know, that variety of parenting, that some things that, you know, a timeout might work with this toddler but not with this toddler right and when I really really keenly learned this lesson was with my daughter Grace who is one of the most incredible people on this planet but also has pushed me further than any of my kids ever pushed me my my older four were all pretty easygoing toddlers of course we had our moments of course we had all the tears and hard things but I had never experienced anything like I did with Grace and it's hard to even tell you stories about it because no one thing is that you know challenging that when I tell I would try to help other people understand like for example my husband was deployed from when she was two to when she was three and I would just be so discouraged at night and even emotional and crying sometimes my husband would say you know what happened and I would just say today was so hard with grace you know and he would say well what happened and I would try to tell him and number one he wasn't there and it's just hard to you know connect and understand really what's going on but number two Again, no one story of what she did was indicative of how challenging she was. What it is, is all of the stories added up. My sister and I have this joke. We say it's the on and onness of it all. It's the every day, day in, day out, one situation to the next that you just get that certain percentage of challenging in every situation you encounter, that resistance in every situation you encounter. And for Grace, what it often was, was just a pretty, the way I like to describe it was just generally dissatisfied with just about everything that was happening to her. So it didn't matter what show we were watching. She wanted to watch a different show. It didn't matter what clothes she was 
was wearing, she wanted different clothes. It didn't matter if I turned on the light, she wanted to have turned on the light. But if I said, Grace, will you turn on the light? She would say, no, you turn it on, right? So it was basically just whatever I suggested, she wanted the opposite, which is, you know, pretty, can be pretty common for toddlers. And I did experience it with my other ones, but just kind of here and there with her, it felt pretty comprehensive, <laughs> pretty much with everything. And I know, again, this is my version of the story and that's probably a slightly dramatic telling of it. But at the time, it was exhausting. At the time, it was very hard very hard to to deal with, especially in that year of solo parenting that happened right in the thick of her toddlerhood. And there were a few things that really aggravated it. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but basically before she could talk, it was at one of its really high peaks because she she was just kind of upset and cried all day is what it felt like to me. And then when I potty trained her, that was another really high peak of just a couple of months of both of us just crying every day. Just working through that and learning to endure that. And that was a real growing up process for me because that was me realizing I can't just parent all my kids the same way. And I'm so glad for that lesson because again, now I have teenagers and now I have kids at all ages needing all kinds of different things from me. And up until that point, I was getting away with parenting my kids basically the same. So that was one of the greatest lessons I learned from my daughter was that I need to learn how to parent my child the way they need to be parented, not just the way I want to parent them. And it's a balance of that. Obviously, I still will parent the way I want to parent, but with that in mind of what do they need from me as their parent. And another thing that I really learned was how to know nothing had gone wrong. That was really valuable for me at that time and how to know that I was the best one to parent my daughter. Who better than me to be the one that she loses it to, right? I'm the best one. I also learned how to love her so uniquely. I found myself struggling to love her at times, like not truly. Of course, I always loved her, but struggling to connect with her and to feel that at times because of how challenging our days were. And I wanted to feel connection and love for her all the time. And I learned to create that for myself. I learned how to love her in a way that worked for both of us so that I could feel that all the time because as a mom, I really want to be able to feel that. So that was another awesome gift that came from the challenges of parenting Grace as a young toddler. So she's almost five now and has come so far. We both have. And I really enjoy most of parenting her now. And I can still remember those hard, hard days. And I'm just proud of both of us. I'm just really, really proud of both of us and how far we've come and grown together because it was it was quite a transition. So I have a very strong appreciation for the toddler phase. I'm gaining a strong appreciation for the teenager phase. I think it's so funny when people say to me, I'll, you know, I might be like lightly complaining about my toddlers saying how toddlers are hard, you know, maybe talking about potty training or tantrums or whatever. And parents who are a little further along than me who don't have toddlers anymore. I think that often happens. I think a lot of people move out of the toddler phase before they move into the teenager phase. So then they hit the teenager phase and it's really hard. And they love to say to me, oh, just wait, teenagers are harder than toddlers. And when I'm having my low days, I kind of want to punch them in the face because toddlers are legit. They are the real deal. They are super hard. And I believe that teenagers are as well. Again, we have had some experience is nothing crazy dramatic yet and we're just entering this world and you guys remember I have five girls so I'm going to be raising five teenage girls they won't all be teenagers at the same time but anyway I think it's funny when people say that and I have come to understand that toddlers are 50 50 and teenagers are 50 50 right I've talked about this before that when I feel like toddlers are harder than teenagers I'm noticing the hard of the toddler versus the easy of my teenagers 
teenagers. And when I talk to people who say that teenagers are harder than toddlers, they're noticing the heart of their teenagers and comparing it to what they remember about having toddlers. I really don't know very many people. They're out there, of course, who have toddlers and teenagers at the same time. So I know I'm having this really exciting, unique experience. Uh, But it's actually a really cool perspective to be able to parent them at the same time and just lean into that belief that toddlers are 50-50 and teenagers are 50-50 and I'm a 50-50 mom and we're all right on track. I love it all. So good. Okay, we are going to wrap up this episode with your mission, which is to notice what your lower brain demands, right? And how it demands that fair be same. We know that fair is not same, but your lower brain is watching for things to not be quote unquote fair. And all that means is that they're different. We can learn to really embrace that everything is different and it should be. There's so much freedom in that belief right there. Everything is different and it should be. Nothing has gone wrong. Whether it be our parenting, our children, our weight, our jobs, our house, our money, you know, whatever it is, it all should be different, right? So that is your mission for this episode is to start to watch your brain and its definition of fair and see what half of your brain you're in, the lower brain or the higher brain, and to lean into that belief of fair means that things are different and they should be. That's what I have for you today. So are you ready to take what you are learning here to the next level? Then join me for resiliency training. This is my monthly coaching program that includes a private coaching session with me each month along with weekly content and individual email support. Start anytime for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the difficulties of military life and that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.